This is Real Talk. Hi there, I'm Dr. Joylyn Maniachi, creatrix and founder of The Happiness Clinic. I'm the world's premier nerd on communication and relationship dynamics, helping make relationships easier by showing you how to get out of your way, how to get more of you in your life so that you can be happy as fuck. Hi there, it's Dr. Joylyn Maniachi and welcome to Your Power Hour. This is, as I say, your time to put what's on your mind, on my mind, and I will give you my two cents for free. Because hey, that's just the kind of uh, person I am. I really do, really do desire to be a resource for you. We're talking about awakening empaths. So as an awakening empath, wanting you to have resources so it doesn't have to be so painful and painfully slow to progress and actually embrace and embody who you truly are. That is my desire. That is the goal of my work. More shiny, happy people. So however I can do that for you, let me do that to you, for you, for you. And just a quick shout out. We got a couple of new members in right under the gun, right before power hour. Kayla, Lindsay, Robin, and Abigail, welcome. I hope you were able to get the memo and join us today. We'll see if you can pop on uh, here in a bit. But today we are talking about the shadow side of the awakening empath. And this might be a little bit jarring or irritating for some because as an awakening empath, one of the things that you're awakening to is how much shit you've actually taken. How much abuse that maybe you were unwilling to call abuse came your way. And how hard things were, even if they looked okay. That was a lot of my childhood. Looked great from the outside, but it was awful on the inside. And nobody can ne necessarily know that but you. Um... So you're like, so what the heck? The shadow's all about what's happened to me already. And though those are painful awarenesses and recognitions and signs of where healing is necessary and where a lot of healing is available, as we progress and wake up and start to recognize our gifts, maybe start to see that there's not something wrong with us. We actually just have an added capacity and sensitivity. Um... There are sometimes, it's, it's a step in the process, it seems that there are a couple of hiccups where we can actually become the abusers. We can actually become the narcissists. We can actually become the superior assholes. Um, and so what I'd like to do is try to bring some awareness to this because nobody talks about this. Nobody. It's all about poor you, what happened to you. And yes, let me reiterate, if you have never heard it before, I am sorry that those things happened to you because never... In a million years, did you actually do anything to deserve it? Ever. It was never, ever an indication that there was something wrong with you. It is just a universal masterpiece in aligning what our soul was asking for and what other people's soul was asking for and a way to make it painful enough for us to actually move and wake up. But I am sorry that, that happened to you, but let us heal so that that's not what we're defining in and referencing as our lives and who we are. So there's been a lot of things about shadow work coming up. Pluto went into retrograde, I think, last week. There's been a lot and a lot of different chitter-chatter in groups that I'm in, um, some clients coming to me and asking. And shadow work is absolutely essential. It absolutely is. 
any kind of spiritual work, healing work, trauma release that does not include some type of shadow work, which trauma release probably in itself counts, um, will be bypassing. Meaning we will just try to skip over the pain and just land at the future and the happiness that we'd like. But it's unsustainable because we just sort of bypassed and we didn't give ourselves a good foundation. Another way of bypassing some people, my mother specifically, is, is classic spiritual bypasser and just says, oh, God will take care of it and doesn't do any of the interpersonal work, um, just sort of puts it in somebody else's hands. Those kind of things are bypassing. That shit isn't going to work. And it definitely isn't going to fly with me if you work with me. So that's not the aim of this because what we're talking about, what I want you to have, is a really good platform a really good knowing of who you are, where you've been, what it means, what you'd like for your future. So we're not gonna bypass, none of that. But when you're talking about shadow work, you also do not necessarily have to dig. I see so many coaches, just about every program I have ever been in, the first thing we do is dig. We dig in, we do a deep dive into the limiting beliefs. And I don't see that as necessary because here's what I have come to know about the process and why I developed the future forward focus and loved it so much I trademarked it. That when you shift and you look at where you want to go, you start to look at how do I wanna show up? What do I want my life to look like? What do I wanna feel like? What do I want to exude as the energy of when I show up, this is the energy that's there. As soon as you do that, all that is not congruent with that, anything that has held you back or kept you from even, you know, entertaining that idea, it's going to show up. So you don't have to dig for it. It's just going to show up. Ta-da! Look at See? Your soul makes shadow work easy. Isn't that lovely? It feels like shit if you don't know what's going on. It actually looks, if you don't know that that's how the process goes, it actually looks like it's evidence for then you can never have it. But don't misinterpret it. It's actually a gift. It's actually just showing you, hey, here's all the stuff that you gotta let go of because it's coming up to go. Okay, and if we stop power hour right there, you've gotten a golden nugget, okay? And my mouth is really dry. I'm gonna be drinking a lot of water, but I also wanna show you, look at this, I engraved it myself, skull and crossbones, just water, but it looks like Looney Tunes and I liked it. Okay, so what shadow work really, really is, is actually just flat out, scraped down, I don't like the term brutal because it doesn't have to be brutal, but it's honesty. It is just bare bones honesty. Looking at what has happened, what is happening, what we're actually choosing, looking really at who we are, how we're showing up, like with real honesty and allowance. No judgment here. No judgment. Um, because it isn't bad. None of the shadows are bad parts of you. They are rejected parts of you. They are not perfect, most likely, because they're on this side of heaven. It's human. It's humanity. Humanity's got some stuff. We're pretty good. Mostly good. We have the element of divine, so in that way we're perfect. In embodied, manifesting, and realizing on this side of heaven where there is 
some separation from our divinity, there are some less savory parts. But all of them make us who we are. None of them are exclusive. There is nobody that has bad parts that are worse than anybody else or has something that somebody else doesn't. Because we are divine and we are infinite, so we have all of it. What our big, big choice here is what we're going to express, what we're going to contribute, and what we're going to nourish and display and express more of. So the shadows aren't bad. They are just the rejected parts that we either don't want to deal with, don't want to face, don't want to admit, or we just don't like enough that we just say, no, you can't be here. And all of them have a little piece of us and some information for us about where some other healing might need to be. Or a lot of times, like little kids, they just want to be seen. They just want your attention. And sometimes that's all it takes. So sometimes there's a big buildup about what shadow work is, like that it has to be uh, technical or, or have a proper sequence when sometimes it's just when you recognize something come up, you actually just give it your attention. Oh, there you are. I see you. And sometimes that is enough. Sometimes you got to sit with it for a couple minutes and not run away. Um, and sometimes you have to sit with it and let it come to you, just like a scared animal. And that's how these things work. But then you get to incorporate it into you, and that doesn't mean you're going to become it. I think a lot of people hide from the shadows because they're afraid if they do the shadow work, and then, then they're going to, like, if, if they're an allowance of it, then they're just going to do it all the time, and it's not. What's happening is we're probably doing it more often than we believe, and once we actually understand what the drive and need is, then we, we won't do it as much. So shadow works absolutely essential. Now here's something that comes up with clients and, and in some of the uh, pickups that I'm getting is, is empaths, you're beautiful and you probably came into a shit childhood. And again, that sucks, but it's just like, that's, that's the cards we got, you know? But when talking about shadow work and how essential it is, but then in the next breath, they'll be talking about blocking people out, cutting off negativity, um, and then getting upset about other people emotionally manipulating them and definitely hating on narcissists. That's like classic, classic. And it's interesting because they all talk about it as if they don't do this. And granted, it is an unpleasant awareness. When I have been called on my emotional manipulation, I hated how it felt. I did not like to think of myself because I knew I had grown up with an emotional manipulator and I definitely wasn't her, but I was. And how could I not be? That's what I grew up with. That's what I saw modeled. That was what I was entrained in. That was the energy I was immersed in when my brain waves were in theta pattern from zero to seven and then for the rest of my, you know, up to my 20s, you know. So how could I not? end up being that. It's almost ridiculous to think that I was somehow just going to, you know, not, not be able to do that, you know, just from knowing that I'll just not do that. That's what we all think, but that's how we all end up being our ourselves with our kids. You know, I don't have kids, but we all end up being our parents. We don't have to, but it's funny to think that, that somehow as an empath, because one of the things that we do know about ourselves is we are genuinely loving and caring. And so there's a conflict of interest and there's also a contradiction of being very loving, caring, and emotionally manipulative. 
But again, it's not about judgment. It's not about that you should have never done that. It's just that's what you were modeled. That's who you were trained. That's what you know. And the way that you got it was because that's all your parents knew. That's all they could give you because that's all they knew. That's all their parents had. And so what we're trying to do is actually break these generational chains so that we're not passing on pain and crappy communication patterns to, to continue proliferating that in the world. We're doing something different. And also, they're just a product of wounding. And I know for a fact, I've been wounded. You know, you have. You lived through your childhood. So there's been some wounding there, okay? So we're gonna talk about the shadow side of awakening empaths. One of them, I guess you could say right off the bat, is a little bit of self-delusion. Not wanting to believe anything that doesn't match who you think that you are. And so honesty, honesty is the spell breaker. It's the veil lifter. That's how we're gonna get out of this, okay? So let's take an honest look at some of the shadow sides of what happens as we're awakening. So the process overall, great, glorious, absolutely essential for you and the planet, okay? Cause you gotta wake up to who you really are so you can be more of who you really are. And by doing that, you are a gift to the world. So this has to happen, but there's a couple of hiccups and maybe some uh, less than savory spots, sort of like, I don't know about you, seventh grade. Did anybody else look really good in the seventh grade? I had glasses that were too big for my face and it was just that awkward face where nothing quite fit quite right, you know, to where I wonder if even my parents were kind of like, mm, man, it's a little bit of a funny looking kid, you know, like it's just, but it, it's, it has to happen. You just can't skip seventh grade or whatever age that is, you know, you just go through it, you know, so, but it can be a little bit easier. So number one, and this has come up strong. I think that a lot of it does, and I don't get totally into astrology, but with Pluto talking about some deep shadows, I think this one has kind of come up and, um, Whoever's like, write questions if you are, give me some emojis if, you, if, you're, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. But one of the big, big ones, and we all have it to a certain extent, but it's really come up here presently and is really common for empaths is the victim. Being the victim in a situation. And let me tell you, working with my shadow, I, I hate the victim. I hate when I hear her. I think that it's ugly and I just want to like, I want to reject her again, you know, like, ugh, ugh, I don't even want that, but that doesn't work. So we got to look and actually be with her. But the victim, what the victim really is, again, always a product of wounding, also a product of training and modeling. I grew up around a victim, so I knew how to do that. But victim is a power play. It's a dynamic and it's actually only part of a role. And so where a lot of empaths will hate on narcissists, those are actually just two sides of the same coin. They're just energetic awarenesses. It just depends on how you use them to uh, make someone else more comfortable or to insist that everything about you is comfortable. That's kind of the big difference. But there are not that many categorically and diagnostically uh, classified narcissists. It's just a lot, it's more about roles and, and how you're playing in a dynamic. The same happens with victim. You can't be a victim without a perpetrator and a perpetrator cannot be a perpetrator without a victim. This is what is largely missed in all domestic violence things is that there is an interplay between them. And I've even seen like me be the reverse. 
as far as when my dog, when, when he knows he's in trouble and he cowers, yeah, I'm talking about you, he perked up his head. He cowers because he knows he did something bad, but then he shakes. It actually kind of gets under my skin and makes, because it, it, it pulls out something in me, you know? And, and I notice that and I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. So you don't have to, once you're aware of it, you don't have to like live out the entire thing. That's what's great about this. The awareness can, can stop it in its tracks. But to know that a victim actually holds the cards. And, and for some people, in doing this subconsciously, not knowing this, not planning this, but they will take a beating in order to keep all the power because then they get all the social support. A lot of times they get judicial support. And so there is a rallying around a victim and that's usually what they're going for. Now, again, it's not because people are always just manipulative. There are those. But it's mostly just because this is how we grew up and knew how to get attention and how to survive. But as an adult, as a mature individual, as somebody who's wanting to grow in consciousness and awareness and be more fully expressed as part of their soul, it's not going to work. It doesn't lend itself to that. Because there is a... For one, in order to be a victim, that means the power is all outside of you. So all of your energy and attention, all the energy and attention, and, and, and the, the, the ability to receive what it is you'd like is in someone else's hands. And if you didn't get it from your own childhood, religion can do this. Religion and authority figures that way can say someone else determines what you get. And, and depending on how it was delivered, at what age, the tone, all that, it could have solidified in you as this victim. I don't get to call the shots on my own life. There's also a learned helplessness. Um, and again, in my own life, having wake up, I would, I would generally just, I'd give something a go. And if it didn't work, oh, I can't do this. I'm not good at this. And that's actually a lack of self-love is giving up on myself so fast and then just handing it over to somebody else. Will you do it because you're better at it than me? But I didn't even give myself the chance to improve. I just went into the victim and, hey, I like that somebody else would do it, I guess. Um, but, I, I, but I stunted myself. And so the victim can kind of just keep us stuck that way. And, and so there is where we can peel off some of the judgment. Because if I haven't already, it was instilled. It was modeled. You got entrained, either from your parents, from your church, from the government, but it's, you, were, you grew up in a place that said the power's outside of you. Somebody else determines if you're happy or not. But to the extent that we hold on to that, we continue to be helpless and we stunt our own growth. And then that's human, we want progress. We want growth. We are part of consciousness. We are part of the divine. We cannot stand still. And that's one of the things that's saying we're so very unhappy. And one of the things is staying in victim. Now with this, and, and I think I'll get to it and circle back to it, but again, another piece of judgment we can take off, you're doing it because you're getting a payoff. And so paying attention to what you're actually getting from being a victim is going to be very important because then you can start to get what it is you're really after. Or recognize 
I don't even want that anymore, but that's just all I've ever known. It's just as long as it's unconscious, it's going to be operating and you don't get to know it. When you start to challenge it, question it, then you can actually have some awareness about it and see if it still fits. And then if there's another way around it, you know, I'm in a health challenge right now and there's so much about building the consciousness around eating. And when certain foods are taken out, like you can't have this this week and it's something you want and you recognize you want it, you recognize that it's not the actual food you want because most of them are nutritionally devoid anyway, empty. Then you start to see, oh, it's an emotional need I actually want. What is the emotion or what am I actually, and so many of times that I'm hungry, I'm either thirsty or I actually want to move. But I feel like I gotta work, so I sit my ass down and I stay there when it's really like I actually just need a change of activity. So what I've been allowing myself to do is go to the cabinet and get a snack when really I could just give myself permission to go for a walk. So the need would get met. That's what, that's the brilliance of consciousness. It allows something more effective and actually in line with what you're actually needing to present itself because then you're actually aware of it. Okay. But your brain's doing this, what we often classify as self-sabotage, because it just wants to keep you safe. As long as you stay the victim, the power's outside of you, you're not going to move. You're not going to take any risks. So you're going to stay alive. So none of these shadows, none of your subconscious, nothing that's even self-sabotage is actually bad. It's just misunderstood. Okay. Now, keeping going with this. Need another drink of water. Good grief. What I've recognized in the last couple of clients, it's been really almost obvious, just like popping out of nowhere. Like I say, I've got like one of my gifts is hearing what people are actually saying. It's self-hypnosis. There's a word or a phrase that we have that when we say it, it puts us back in that spot. It puts us back in the small space. Now for one of my clients, it's been accountability. I need accountability. I need somebody to hold me accountable. And so as soon as she would throw out accountability, she wanted somebody else to hold her accountable instead of her showing up for herself. It put her in a place where other people do the work for me. Another one, it was discrimination. Like she works in an education system and discrimination is a buzzword. It's very important because education curriculum, it's definitely overdue to become more inclusive but then started classifying herself and they're discriminating against me. So as soon as the word discrimination came up, she personalized and then shrunk in a situation and then would become emotionally reactive and wasn't effectively communicating. There was a prospective client I talked to and hers was, I can't afford it. And we went from the elation of talking about future and possibilities and what she was going for and a beautiful conversation to near tears, crying, I can't afford it. And I know that one. I know that one so well because that one used to be mine. I can't afford it. No matter what future, no matter how glorious it looked and so in line with what I was going for, I can't afford it. And bam, I was small and I needed somebody to give me a hug. I turned right into a victim and it wasn't fair. So anywhere in your life where you're saying it's not fair, you're being a victim. Anywhere there's somebody else needs to change and do something else, they should know what they're doing. That's emotional manipulation. Whenever we see that we're being reactive, we're probably to some extent in a victim or some other uh, archetypal role that's not who we really are. Okay? 
but just take the judgment off. It was, it, it functioned for a while. It got us through childhood. We stayed safe up until this point, but now we can see it's a place where we need to love ourselves more and show up for ourselves more to take our power back. Every time we see the victim be like, oh, I'm taking it back. Okay, so there we go. Number two, a shadow side of awakening empaths is becoming a superior asshole. I don't know if anyone knows this better than myself because I was a grand and glorious asshole, okay? And I am lucky to still have my husband and my sister in my life because especially when I was starting out becoming a life coach, I knew how other people should live. Coming out of naturopathic medical school, I knew how people should eat and take care of their bodies and I knew it better than them, right? I had additional information that they did not have. That was true. I had additional training that they did not have. That is true. But did I know more about them and for them than they did? No. No, I did not. And for me to assert that I did and try to push them and cajole them into believing that I did is crap. And I had somebody talk to me, you know, because she is awakening to her gift. And then actually shared her gift with somebody else and they did not receive it well. And was why? Why? Because we are caring and loving and we know this about ourselves. I, and, and I would love to say that I didn't push anybody because I wanted external validation, but that's not true. At that point, I was still wounded enough that I wanted them to agree and validate me. So that was there. I can't take that away. But there was absolutely a loving and caring and wanting these people to be more fully expressed, healthier, vibrant living, so that I thought I was giving them something. I really did. But here's the thing. They didn't request it. Help given without a request is abuse. All of us have experienced this. Whether you're a woman in a relationship with a man, or if this is what one of your parents did, but when you express a sad feeling and somebody tries to fix your feelings, that's shit. It feels awful because they're not being present. There's not listening. There's no empathy there. There's not a space for you to actually have your feelings and have your process. It feels awful and we rebel against it. So we've all had that experience of that happening to us as we start to awaken. A lot of times we inadvertently do that to other people. And the thing about empathy is with these empathic abilities and the ability to get so much information on the moment a moment basis about other people's mental, physical, and emotional state, it is just information. It is yours to have, yours to use. But nobody likes to be told that somebody else knows more about them than they do, unless they go to a psychic and pay for that. And if they're not asking for your help, it is not necessarily helpful. And now with this, you have to use your own awareness and intuition because some requests come without, hey, can you help me out here? Some of them aren't verbal, but there will be, you have to start checking in with the energetics. Is this person asking for me to help them in any way? Um... Let's see. I want to something. There's something in my notes. I know it's here. Also, you're getting information in the moment and you're present. 
if it has something to do with that person's shadow, it might not be something they're ready to receive. So to push it on them is unkind. It also might not be total. You might be getting some information, but not total. So to make this person and tell them what's going on for them, you actually objectify them. And if you look at one of the most brilliant books I have ever read that I think everyone in the world should read is The Anatomy of Peace. When we objectify somebody, we've taken the humanity out of them. We're no longer dealing with them on a person-to-person basis. And that is the energetic dynamic that most people are actually reacting to and why it blows up in our face. But then to make ourselves right, to try harder to get them to understand us, that is emotional manipulation. That's the shit that we tell ourselves we're not doing, but we do it when we need to be right about the gifts that we're getting. That comes from a lack of confidence in our gifts and in our knowing. And let me tell you, it's a process. So please, please don't hear me say, shut up, you did it wrong. It's, this is gonna happen, it's gonna be a little bit messy. And so we're going to talk about when I give you the tips of how you actually start living and dealing with other people. One of the things is when you recognize you overstep to apologize, because it's not that we've gone through a lot. We've suffered a lot. We do have a lot of information about what's going on for us and for other people, but how we actually start to hone our skills and use those abilities is an imperfect process. Sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes we trip over ourselves. And so sometimes apologies are necessary. So you just gotta gotta work with that. Also, learning boundaries. Like I said, starting to tap into the energetics of is this person asking? I have gotten so much better as a coach, as a sibling, as a partner to actually when I'm picking up, especially with my husband, I can tell when he's stressed before he is. And I used to push for that. Oh, oh, you're stressed. You'd be like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because it hadn't hit him yet but he wasn't asking. So I just had to, what I did is I got the information. So I gave more space. It was actually an indicator for me. He's stressed. So he's going to behave stressed. So it's not about me so that I could be less reactive because that would only add to the stress instead of trying to be like, I can tell you're stressed out. So stop stressing. So you don't stress me out. You know, that's so much freaking work and how ridiculous. Okay. And also to notice you empathic parents when you're actually possibly bullying your kids or thinking you know more about your kids than they do. The more we can empower our kids, because if you're empathic, there's a very good likelihood you got an empathic kiddo there who, if they're under the age of seven, are still functioning in theta brainwave states. So they're picking up a whole lot and they actually still have some better connection, not like we all have it, but they have a more fuller connection with their divine so that when they're saying things, talking to invisible friends, they might actually be seeing them. If they don't want to eat carrots, there might be something that they are more in tune with their body that they just don't want it. You have to be a little bit more in question and in curiosity about them because that's what you would have liked to have had. To have somebody just be curious about you and inspire curiosity about yourself, that's the gift you can give to your kids. Instead of telling them, nope, I know better than you do, okay? Because that's crap and that's what we all got, okay? So let's not proliferate that. Number three, shadow side. The absolute, because it's gonna happen. None of us were encouraged to be 
fully expressed and confident in ourselves and in our abilities, okay? So we're starting to wake up to this, but we don't have confidence in it. So we have an absolute requirement for external validation. And that will put us into victim position every time. That will require someone else to notice us, understand us, appreciate us, because we don't have yet, yet, what it takes to do that and be that for ourselves. But as soon as we require that from somebody, it's no longer a request, it's a demand, and nobody likes to be demanded of and from that way. It makes the external validation even less likely to happen. It also makes us a manipul emotional manipulation and pushy because we, we need it so bad. We start to equate it as a need that we will start to push and, and become manipulative or become pushy, become unkind, even to the extent of abusive. I've used that word loosely, um, but because we need it. When really what we need to do is develop an inner sense of knowing that is so strong that no matter who calls us crazy or tells us that there's no way we could have information that we have or know what we know or feel what we feel or you're too sensitive or whatever it's coming in, that we say, okay, that's your opinion, but I, I got this information. And it doesn't have to like blow us up inside because I got to do something with it. We start to learn how to handle emotional intensity. We start to deal with the pain. There is a lot of pain and mourning when we can see people making choices that hurt themselves or see people be unkind to us on purpose, it hurts. It's going to hurt when we recognize how much we've done that to ourselves. Um, but we don't ever actually need external validation I, I wish that there was better in the English language, a different word, because it really is just a want. It is just a desire. It's nice to have external validation, but never ever in a million years would our body or being cease to exist without it. It is unnecessary. So we have to stop telling ourselves that it is so we don't put ourselves back in victim role or become superior assholes or pushy emotional manipulators, okay? Because... We don't have to make the shadow side any worse. It's already gonna show up because we've already been trained to look for external validation, to need external validation, because that's how this reality is set up. We've, we've been programmed and our uh, empathic abilities used for the benefit of somebody else, partly for our own survival. You know, we would take care of mom and dad or whoever it was so that we could survive and be, you know, in the tribe. These things happen, we have to untangle them. The shadow stuff's gonna show up. We're gonna see it. It's just to the extent that we can extract that judgment and just peacefully untangle ourselves and give ourselves allowance and more self-love and just see that these, it's all coming from wounding. It's all coming from imperfect instruction and information, which is what we got, which is what our parents got because that's what they got. And now we're just changing this shit so that we don't pass this down to our kids and the world can have a different possibility and reality to come, okay? You're doing great work. The shadow stuff is uncomfortable. And if it was easy, everybody would already be doing it, but we're all running away to it to some extent, but we don't have to anymore because it's glorious. And we don't have to dig for it because it'll just show up and all we gotta do is love ourselves through it. Actually, just loving yourself every time you see the shadow work is shadow work. It's enough, okay? So now I'm talking about tips. Tips, because 
it's not plastics that make it possible. It's pragmatics that make it possible. How do you live in a world filled with idiots and narcissists, okay? Including narcissists, you know who narcissists a lot of them are? Other wounded empaths who just got with a weaker empath. And so there's usually this flip-flopping all the time. How do I know this? I'm married to that, okay? We've been doing it and finally when we figured out that's what was happening, things have gotten so much easier because there is so much less battle of you're being this, like you're this all the time. It's like, oh, I guess that was your turn. We don't have to do that anymore. You can't actually short circuit it. It gets easier, okay? I just want this to be easy for you because it's tough enough, all right? We don't have to make it any harder, so let me give you some shortcuts. One of the things that empaths struggle with, both in awakening and in general, is knowing how to own their space. This is how they a lot of times end up, what we've been, what we did in childhood is we shrank. Somebody else had a crisis, there was chaos, the safest thing to do was shrink. We did not want to incur someone else's wrath or criticism, we did not want to be excommunicated from the tribe for any reason, so we shrank. Sometimes we did it because we knew somebody else needed to express and be more visible. That's what my emotional manipulator parent did. That it just had to be all about her needs. That was her. And if you know this about trauma, some of the deep trauma, they call them narcissistic wounds. They're the ones that we hold most deep and dear and make everything about us. Um, so they were all about hers. She didn't talk about them, so I don't, I don't have a great understanding. I just know that they were there and that's what all of our lives were built around, okay? So how do you learn how to dominate your space? Because in, in the awakening, what I would do is I would see her emotionally manipulate and I would get pissed off about it. I would then react to the pattern. But all that did, it didn't change the pattern. That just meant I was aware of it and now I was annoyed with it. But nothing changes that way. So we have to go the next step and how do we dominate our space so that we are not at the effect of someone else? so that we can change so we do not habitually and immediately shrink in the presence of any conflict or chaos or somebody else's big obnoxious energy, we can hold our own. And it is to dominate our space. And we can dominate our space without dominating another. That is the beauty. That's where I like these analogies and metaphors of dancing and surfing because you're not ever dominating anything. I hate a lot of healthcare and uh, fitness things are all about combat and own and, and uh, dominating. And, and I'm just like, dude, what's with all the war? We've got enough, don't need any more. Okay, so let's take that out of the vocabulary. Let's learn how to work with this. But we are gonna dominate our space. Now, how you do that, and I hate this word sometimes because it's like, no, I want it right now. It takes practice. It's actually a skill. How you do this is actually you will get into a quiet space and you just breathe and you notice where you're actually inhabiting your body. Now, for most of us empaths, especially us high-functioning and slightly intellectual smarty pants, here's where we are most of the time. We are in our heads. And so what we have to do is learn how to inhabit our entire body. So what I will do sometimes is laying in the bed in the morning, I will just expand so I feel my whole body almost like from the inside out. 
so that I can feel the inside of my skin, in between my fingers and in between my toes, see if I can kind of get a sense of all my organs, and I start to at least inhabit the entirety of my body. And that brings some profound relaxation because again, anywhere there is an issue, anywhere you feel stuck, anywhere there's stress, there's not enough you. And that's true for your body because who's actually starting to inhabit all that is your soul and your soul is the enlivening, invigorating aspect for your body. So the more we can do that for our bodies, that's the gift. So inhabiting your whole body, then when you're there, with your breath, you just sort of expand past that. Fill up the space you're in, the entire bed. See if you can fill up. And, and this is, you're cohabitating with somebody, great. You don't have to push them out of the bed. You learn how to be with them next to you in a quiet space so there's not really interaction. Then you fill up the whole room. Then you fill up your whole house, your whole building. Then you move past into whatever municipality, your state, your country, and you just keep going and going and going until you kind of have this merger with the universe and you just feel so spacious and expansive. And you do that every day. And then you do it in random times of the day when you're more awake. Oh, I'm cooking. I'm totally in my head. Let me be in my whole body. Then you start paying attention to what your hands are doing and your hands get this whole new dynamic, you know? Oh, I'm in my toes. Oh, I can feel the backs of my knees. Okay, oh, I'm filling up the whole kitchen. Oh, look it, me and this vegetable are sharing some energy, isn't that fun? And you start with other inanimate objects. Oh, me and this stone, and you can actually start, you know, sensing other things and, and being with them while you're awake. And then you start doing it when you're in friendly interaction. You just kind of like, if you're having a conversation, sometimes you just pull in and be like, oh, I'm kind of just checking in with the energy dynamic here, this flow. And oh, when they said that, I could feel like I pulled back a little bit and now I can just expand. Like, what happens if I just expand and me and this person's energy like are totally, you know, kind of like Venn diagram sort of thing. And then when it's hot and heavy and you're in conflict and you shrink, you're gonna notice that you shrank. And then you're going to expand your energy. Or you're going to go to like a party or the grocery store even. And where you used to get totally drained, you have your space. You know what your space feels like. So then you'll know a lot of times why we end up feeling drained is because we just let it all in. And we didn't take up any space for ourselves. We just kept shrinking and moving and dodging. That's tiring, and yeah, it's only happening energetically, but it's kind of like us moving through the matrix and trying to do all that, you know? It gets tiring, jumping through all these hoops, trying to not bump into anybody. You can't not bump into anybody. You're infinite, and we're consciousness, and we're all one anyway, okay? But if you've got a potential to have peace and presence as part of your space, that's a gift you give to the world, so blow that up, strengthen that, and you get that for you, and then you offer it to the world by walking out in the world. And then there's no draining, because that peace and presence just flowed as you did. That's how you work with the world. And then when you're in conflict, you recognize, I shrank, I left. And again, trauma responses. But then one of the reasons that trauma takes hold is because we abandon ourselves. We left. 
a lot of us did go up to our head because whatever was crashing in on our bodies was too much. So here was a safe place. We have to retrain ourselves and say, I'm safe, I'm okay. So that even if this person is yelling at me, I'm safe and I'm okay. And it's amazing how the dynamic will shift when you then are actually present and then you're not reacting. Because what we're usually reacting to is I'm not okay. It takes practice. This is going to take repetition. And just like anything else, you're going to get it wrong. You're going to mess up. You're totally going to get triggered. You're totally going to mess up. But then when you reflect on the event, you'll be like, oh, I shrank. I totally went away there. Oh, that's what I did. Okay. Oh, that person really annoyed me because I wasn't dominating my space. I let them dominate mine. That's when we really used to, we get irritated with people. We get frustrated with them. We want them to be less obnoxious, but it's really because they're knocking on our space and we're not holding our boundaries and we're not owning and dominating our own space. So it takes practice, okay? Lots and lots of practice. The other tip. Shadow work. We're talking about healing and we're talking about trauma. Your body has to be included in any kind of healing modality. That, that's going to be inclusive and that's actually going to work because trauma is stored in the tissue. It is not up here. We go up here to intellectualize it because that's what's safe, but here's where it lives. It has to get out. It has to be released. The body, our body, like I talked about um, in the five signs, you're an empath. Your body is your number one asset. It's the one that's actually giving you all this information. Your brain is not picking this up. You're getting it with your senses. You as an empath has a highly sensitive nervous system, which is not just your brain. It's your entire body. This is your, uh, your, it's, man, it's almost like, like the oven mitt of your soul. It's the thing picking up on all these things. This whole thing is your antenna that's getting all the information. So it's, this is your gift. This is your gift. And then your body is also the thing, the meat suit that lets you navigate this reality. The reason you can have a life and have a job and make money and have sex and smell flowers and hug trees and have colors and food is because you have a body. This is what allows you to navigate life on earth. So it's a gift. So your body has to be included in the process of healing. Oh, two of the things, the nutrients that you need the most for this is air you need to breathe. Breath work cannot be understated. And when it talks to breath work, there's a million YouTube videos. There's a million books you could read on it. It's not at this point very important which one you use. They have different purposes for different times. It's just so you start to become consciously aware of your breath because that'll help you tap into some subconscious things. It will also be a way that you start to consciously take over the messaging that you're giving your subconsciousness about your safety. When we breathe unconsciously, a lot of us are breathing from the top of our chest up. It's shallow, it's fast, and it's silent, which actually our subconscious registers as we are prey, we are being chased, we are in danger. When we can start to consciously take control of our breath and pull it down, slow it down, and even have some audible sound to it, we tell our subconscious we're safe. 
and we need more air. Oxygen is essential. You can only live for minutes without it. And without it, your brain goes stupid. I can't remember, I think it was Everest. I think that's the name of the movie. They all got oxygen deprived. They all started making really poor decisions and more people died on that mountain that year um, because, because of that. It is so important. And if we're breathing shallow, we're not getting the amount of oxygen because this does not exchange oxygen. The upper does not exchange as efficiently as the lower. So pulling that down, make your belly go out. I know that's supposedly unattractive for women, but you know what is attractive? Confidence. And do you know what extra oxygen will do to your brain? Confidence, it really will. We always think about cloudy thinking as just being unclear, being confused. It's not liking yourself. That's evolutionary disadvantageous and actually stupid because you're you and there's nothing you can do about it but be you. So not liking yourself makes zero sense. And it's one of the things that will happen when our brain is not well nourished. That will happen if it's not getting enough oxygen. Will also happen was not getting enough water. A dehydrated brain is a shriveled brain is a depressed brain or an anxious brain. You've got to have water. Water also, it is the emotional element. A lot of empaths have a connection with water, but we don't drink enough. We don't take enough. Bathing in it, showering in it, that will help. That will help cleanse if you have some intensity and feel it on your skin. Be fully present to it, but we need more. Just about everybody could probably double what they're drinking and still be slightly dehydrated for about a month. No kidding. I only learned this recently in this health challenge that I'm in. It's insane how much water I drink and how I didn't even recognize how dehydrated I was before, but my skin looks better. My eyes aren't dry. This is something that eye doctors said they could not fix. I fixed it by drinking more water and that's it. Some more nutrients. I eat a whole lot more greens now too. So proper hydration, super, super essential. Then space, your body needs space. Autonomy actually is a human need. So you need space to be by yourself, with yourself. For a lot of us, sometimes we hide from this because at first we become aware of how unkind the voice in our head is, but we need that awareness and we need to start seeing it as a tape as a program it is what has been holding us back it is not the truth so we don't have to react to it we can just start listening to it to say that's a lot of bullshit okay but then with this space especially if you can be in nature that will enhance the space you just get to be with yourself and start getting an idea of your resonance who you are so that it becomes easier to know what's yours what's not yours when all this information comes in you need movement. Your body has to move. This thing was designed for movement. There is, I mean, engineers use this as a model to develop other tools and things because this is like the most efficient and, and phenomenally brilliant anti-gravity machine as far as how our vertebrae are supposed to stack on each other how these limbs move in certain planes but not in others we need movement we need healthy movement and it can like slow movements actually good anything that increases mindfulness is good but it needs to move we are stagnant too much and we rob ourselves the gift of this meat suit which is so freaking incredible so moving walking with nature playing with a kid all of these things are bonuses but do something 
to move all in all planes of direction, incorporate all the joints in some way, shape or form and stretch yourself some. Start to open up. We get really into habitual things. If we can open our bodies, our minds will follow. Where our minds go, our bodies will follow. So you can do it from either direction, but opening up your body, moving your body will make you more fluid and flexible in your thoughts as well, which makes all the process of awakening and getting rid of habits easier too. Nutrition, I'm an naturopathic doctor. We can pick my brain some other time because you go on forever and ever and ever about nutrition, but basically it should look like a food. It, it should it should look like a food get rid of this stuff from the boxes that's 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 the the quick and dirty okay rest you will also need rest if you are like me I identify as an athlete I love athletics there's also a time for rest rest is actually where the gains come where the brain actually gets to reintegrate where the recovery happens where the restoration and repair happen rest is essential Watching TV, sitting at a desk, slumped over is not rest because you're not fully oxygenating. So it needs to be uh, in a more reclined or somehow open and receptive position. Rest. It can also be mind rest. Sometimes gardening can be an active rest. You know, something that allows you to peace out. And then kindness. Your body needs kindness. We've been harsh and cruel for a long time. A lot of us judge ourselves for the shape that it's in for the dimples that it has in places we don't want, for not having dimples in places that we do want, for the colors that things are turning. Uh, for so many reasons, we criticize our bodies and tell ourselves it's not good enough, and that's just plain mean, and that's us being an asshole. This is our best friend right here. This is our pet. It, it like, have you seen Up? I hid under the porch because I love you. What Doug says, like your body's like, I, I put on weight because I love you. It's putting it on because it said, because you kept telling it you need to be protected. You kept eating toxins or somehow getting toxins, so your body kept putting on fat to keep it out of your internal organs. It's a gift to you, it's your best friend. It's time we started recognizing it for that. It, it's, it's way overdue in the appreciation department. So our body's awesome. Another thing we can do and use with our bodies. We're getting close to the end. Give me a thumbs up if you're still with me. I wanna hear it. We just got a couple more things. Let's see it. Noticing contrast. When you're really lit up by something and everything's going gray it's like oh yeah i'm there i'm there oh and then you drop quickly notice that contrast that contrast the only thing that can take us from high to low that fast the only thing that is powerful enough to do that is ourselves that's it. When you see contrast that way, it's a limiting belief. A lot of times it might be that self-hypnosis that I talked about earlier. Oh, I can't have that. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I'm being discriminated against. Oh, I need somebody to hold me accountable. Oh, I can't afford it. The places that we stop ourselves. Notice that contrast and we're going to, it's going to be recognizable through our body, through our tone of voice, through our expressions, and through our emotional response. So be aware of that. Also, paying attention to those things. Paying attention to it, and it might feel like that's not enough to just pay attention. It's because it's painful. Awareness and awakening are like a knot and how it gets bigger before it gets untangled. So it looks like more of a mess, like a bigger knot, but it's really part of the process. 
And with this shadow work, it absolutely requires honesty. So, and it's going to have to be some discomfort of recognizing, oh shit, I just did that. Oh my goodness, there's that thing again. Oh, I thought I was over this. It's all part of the process. Every time we notice it, we start to disempower it because it's no longer working behind the curtain or under the surface. It's starting to become more and more conscious, so it's more available to choose away from it. Notice your typical emotional responses. Victims will often cry, especially when they're angry or in conflict. That's a way to get the conflict to stop. It's a survival skill, but it's not working because it takes you out of the power seat and out of any access to creativity. Uh, if Notice if you get to be an anger ball. A lot of times there's a lot of sadness there or disappointment that you just don't know how to manage. Notice that. Notice when you opt for confusion and I don't know, I don't know, so that you actually just stay stagnant and stalled. These are all very common patterns and there's way more than that, but those are the emotional addictions that will keep us stuck. And again, noticing them is enough to start. It starts to break the stimulus response conditioning. But if you do wanna take it a step further, you can always ask a question. And it can be anything, what's really going on here? Simple. The first question, when I got all this information, the first question is, what the fuck? Because I was charged, but I knew something was going on, so what the fuck? And I was like, well, it's a question. And as long as there's the energy of curiosity and an openness there, it worked. I, I saw something else, and I could, I could change my behavior, I could change my direction of thinking, take a breath. Okay, so what's really going on here? Who am I being? Some of us are actually just being the parent, the model that we had. And we're not really being ourselves. Um, where did I go? That might happen a lot when we shrink. Like, where did I just go? I just went into my feet. I just went into my head. Where did I go? Or, and, and when we're ready, how would I really like to show up? How do I actually turn this so it turns out the way that I want to because I'm sovereign, I own my space, and this isn't how I'm going to be anymore. That's who I was. That's not who I am in the future. So that's not who I'm gonna choose as now. How would I like to show up? So that, my friends, my lovers, because I love you, empaths, badass, superheroes, even when you're superior assholes sometime in the process, but we're going to work our way through that as quickly as possible. This is the shadow side of awakening. It's going to happen. It's just about giving space, asking questions, and just always tapping into that future. Who am I becoming? Who am I really? And how do I want to show up? Because that is how we change stuff. That is how we break these generational patterns. That's how we be the gift of a new model for our kids, for other people in our community. This is how we stop being a victim and manipulating the shit out of people and creating so much conflict in our relationships. This is how we have ease and fun in our marriages again. And it really, really is possible. These things, I always give you tips because I, I just hate when people just talk about the problem and they don't do anything, but there's so much more to this. And I'm sure you kind of already know that, but if you're ready to have more and really work on you specifically, have a guide for your shadow side because when you do get into some of the deep trauma, you need somebody else. That's one thing that should not be done by themselves. And I wish we could get past any of the stigma that said there's some benefit to doing it by ourselves. We are here for each other's healing. 
and and I have gone through this process and I would love to be the Cliff's Notes for yours and to be somebody who's a facilitator who makes it easier, a coach that tells you, gives you some guidance so that it doesn't have to, you don't have to re-traumatize yourself. You don't have to ruin relationships. Um, it just makes it easier and faster. So if you're ready for that, let's talk. A 90-day relationship remodel. You know what I know. In 90 days, all of your problems are not solved, but you will have such a confidence in who you are, in your gifts, and how the process works to where that you're going to feel like you can stand on your two feet and you're going to become part of the healing ripple effect so that we're not proliferating pain anymore. That is what I would love, truly, truly delight in, is the 90 Day Relationship Remodel. I love it so much. I want you to have it. So that if you're ready, let's talk. We'll have a call of clarity. Make sure it's a good fit because we'll be talking weekly for three months, you know, so there's going to be a lot of, a lot of intimate conversation. So we got to make sure we're a good fit. Um, but you are invited. Let's talk and make that real for you because now we're getting close to summer. So it's going to be close to the end of summer by the time you really get it. But you know, from the first session, I've had several clients say, why isn't anyone else talking about this? I got more in this session than I have in months or years of counseling. No kidding. I've had three people say that. Just throw that out there. So it's not like you got to wait till the end of 90 days to get any kind of benefit. It's starting from day one because it's so different because I just like to go fast. I was tired of all this stuff and we're going to use everything that you've done so far because you've already put work into it. You've already been on the journey for a while. So we're going to use everything that you've got, put it together so that you start getting momentum and feeling more confident and be happy as fuck. That's the goal. So that's your invitation. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. I loved everything about this and I hope you did too. And I already am looking forward to next Wednesday. All right, I'll see you. Mwah. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm Dr. Joylyn Maniachi and it's been a pleasure chatting with you. This podcast is made possible through listener support. So let's keep this thing going and have more real talk. No fluff, no bullshit. Go to the Happiness Clinic page on Facebook and you can join the group Real Talk with Dr. Joylyn Maniachi. We can continue the conversation in Power Hour, the weekly group coaching on Wednesdays at noon, Mountain Time. You can also go to ihappentothings.com. Go to the podcast page and support this podcast. While you're there, check out my blog and even get a badass t-shirt from the Happiness Clinic. We've got so many ways to connect. Thanks again for listening, and I invite you to join me again in the next episode.